This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Pharma, America's biopharmaceutical companies developed solutions to help diagnose, treat, and prevent COVID-19, and we are working tirelessly to prepare and protect against future challenges. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Children's National Hospital CEO Dr. Kurt Newman, science journalist Lori Garrett, and former CDC Director Dr. Tom Frieden join the Post to reflect on the lessons learned from the coronavirus pandemic. Good morning and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Paige Winfield Cunningham, a health policy reporter here at the Post and author of the Health 202 newsletter. And this morning we're going to be talking about lessons learned from the coronavirus pandemic. And for my first guest, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Kurt Newman. Uh, to the program, and he's the president and CEO of Children's National Hospital, and he's with us to talk about how children are being affected by the coronavirus. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Newman. Great to see you, Paige. Thank you. So a lot to talk about here, but I want to lay out some numbers for our audience first, because I know this perspective is important. When we're talking about kids and coronavirus, uh, a little more than 2,000 kids under age 18 have been hospitalized for COVID-19, and nearly 300 have died from the illness, and that's uh, roughly over the last year. And I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about the impacts that you've seen on kids, particularly as I presume you've seen some of them arrive at your own hospital. Uh, absolutely, and and thank you for uh, uh, spending some time on this topic. You know, I think there was a, a myth that that started early with the pandemic that uh, children weren't affected. And what we've learned is that uh, children may not be seen as affected clinically. Uh, and you see all the the stories in the media uh, in terms of adults and adult hospitals. But early on, we realized that that just wasn't true, that that children were affected. And as your statistics pointed out, and what we've seen here in Washington, D.C., there's been a major impact. Uh, We've seen over 2,000 children uh, uh, that tested positive for the coronavirus. Uh, uh, 400 of those required hospitalization, and many of those required uh, being in the ICU. Now, the good news is Uh, We really haven't had any deaths, although there have been some reported around the country. But those kids have gotten very, very sick. And another thing we learned uh, very early on was that there are some unique characteristics of the virus impacting children. There's a syndrome called MISC, or multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children. It's really uh, uh, been localized to, to children and happens a few weeks after Uh, the viral infection. And boy, uh, do those kids get really sick, and we're still seeing that. Uh, So there were a lot of things about the virus, and we're still uh, learning more and more. And then a big impact that people don't think about as much is the impact on mental health, behavioral health. And some of those are going to be really, really long-term in children, and we don't have a vaccine for that. Well, and I, I want to talk about the, the impact on children's mental health in a minute. Uh, but first, let me ask you this. I know that we do see a small group of children, unfortunately, die from the seasonal flu every year. And actually, uh, in a small bit of good news, I know those deaths have been down this year from seasonal flu because presumably kids aren't out and about. But can you compare what's the effect of COVID-19 on children compared to the seasonal flu? Well, it... Uh... Uh, is a great question, uh, Paige, and and what you see, and and it's been pretty amazing, 
shouldn't be, but public health measures work. And so we haven't been seeing the kind of flu that we ordinarily would see or other respiratory viruses like RSV, which can also be a real uh, killer in children. And asthma is way down. So these, the impact of kids hand washing, uh, being apart from uh, other children, not being in school maybe, has had a huge impact and our emergency uh, volumes are down. And frankly, that's really good news. But on the other hand, uh, we do uh, see that trade-off with the uh, uh, pandemic and this virus. We don't know what's going to happen with uh, these variants that are coming forward. Uh, so, it, you know, it just may be too early uh, to compare, you know, to make it an apples to apples comparison. Uh, I think they both have, uh, there's a lot of concern about either uh, virus. Hopefully we'll get into a situation where we have the vaccines that work no matter what uh, the virus does. But right now it's a very uh, concerning uh, uh, situation uh, uh, as we look forward to, you know, how our children, what are the longer term impacts of having this uh, virus and those studies need to be done and we're doing them. We know with adults that there's a strong link between serious illness from COVID-19 and, and comorbidities such as obesity, diabetes, other things. What have you observed in kids? Have you seen that your, your, your patients there have had other conditions that may have made them more vulnerable to, to serious disease there? Yeah, that's a terrific observation. And we have seen that, uh, that uh, children with pre-existing uh, conditions are at a higher risk. Uh, but there are healthy children too that uh, uh, contract this and can get very, very sick very, very quickly. The other thing that we uh, discovered, uh, and we set up a drive-through walk-up testing center very early on in the days back in March. You know, we saw our first uh, patient confirmed uh, a year and two days ago. Uh, but from that testing site and all the other things we've done, we found that a major risk factor is that black and brown children are at much higher risk. Their testing positivity was much higher and the impact of the disease also uh, was more impactful. So that's something we're studying uh, as well. We're very concerned about that uh, and don't have the answers on that, but it, it, it really uh, raises the question that some of the disparities we see in healthcare in general that pre-existed uh, the virus are becoming exacerbated by, by the virus and, and certainly it's something we wanna pay a lot more attention to and invest uh, in, in studying and understanding why that is. I wanna ask you about schools for a minute because I'm sure you've seen, uh, this is a really buzzy topic right now and we've seen a lot of school districts open around the country with very little transmission of the virus and yet there have been others that have not had kids back in the classroom all year long. What's your own thought about that? Do we need to be returning kids to the classrooms? Is it safe to do so? Uh, and have we followed the science on this? Uh, uh, Paige, I think uh, there's no uh, one great answer to that. I think everybody wants kids back in school. And uh, we know just all of the great benefits of being uh, in school with their teachers, uh, having the kind of instruction and activities. And we've seen the downside of not doing that. Uh, all the behavioral and mental health issues and the fall off in, in, in scholarly activity. So I think that the school systems that are moving forward with purpose, uh, following the public health guidelines and also getting their teachers vaccinated, uh, it's just uh, shocking to me that uh, teachers aren't on the front line of vaccination. 
Uh, we did, did that here in the District of Columbia with the uh, DC Health and the superintendent of uh, schools here, the DC public schools and charter schools, and got 4,000 teachers vaccinated uh, so that we could remove that as a hurdle to in-person instruction. And I think that's just so uh, critical. So as a children's hospital, we wanna do everything we can uh, to get the schools open and the kids back in school. Do you think that schools should require that teachers get vaccinated? You know, I, th I think the requirement uh, thing, these vaccines are still in a sense experimental and they're being done uh, under studies by the FD or under a, an exclusion by the FDA. So. I don't think that it uh, should be mandatory, but I think it should be offered so that every teacher uh, uh, that wants to get vaccinated should get vaccinated. I wanna ask you more about the, the, the toll on kids that you mentioned earlier, the mental health toll. What are some ways that this has been playing out for kids, particular, particularly when we think of those who haven't been able to set foot in a classroom over the past year, who have you know, been home, trying to do school perhaps, but not having those supports maybe that they would receive at school. What's been that impact that we've seen on our kids over this past year? Yeah, that's very insightful because uh, when you think about it, th these kids are, are, are isolated. They're not with their friends. They're not uh, doing the activities, getting ac exercises, activities, getting ac exercises. They may not be eating healthy. Uh, they're on the screen looking at themselves all the time. And you just think about how that plays out uh, with all of the anxiety and stress that they may be feeling uh, themselves and then also in their families. Just think about the, the, uh, uh, the dynamics uh, going on and the stress that uh, parents have. And then uh, they're not around uh, the teachers, they're not around the other caregivers that might identify early uh, issues or problems uh, that can be addressed. So we've are already, uh, it, you know, in our society, uh, mental and behavioral health of children is, is a big issue. 20% of kids will have some mental or behavioral health issue before, the, uh, before they turn 18. So now you put this pandemic on top of it, plus all of the different uh, activities that they uh, can't be doing. So we see depression going up, we see suicide going up, eating disorders because kids are looking at themselves and maybe don't like their uh, body image or they're eating more or not getting enough uh, exercise. We've had kids come in with uh, diabetes out of control that we hadn't seen before because of, of these issues. So this is a, uh, it, it's a real wave, a real tsunami that's, uh, that, that's coming through. And there's just, you know, we don't, we haven't been putting enough resources into this before the pandemic. And now it's making it even worse. So to help, I think getting the kids back into their regular activities, uh, getting them uh, uh, with their teachers, their friends. Uh, but we also need, uh, we can't uh, declare that things are over uh, when they're back in school because these impacts, the loss of all of these things that have happened are gonna be with them for a long, long time. We know Moderna and Pfizer have be begun coronavirus vaccine trials on kids, um, but you know, of, of course, kids are are you know we've seen the lowest death rates among kids, and so they're sort of last priority in terms of getting the vaccine. But when do you think we can expect vaccines for kids, and should this be something that is sort of given automatically to every kid, almost like the flu, the seasonal flu vaccine? 
Yeah, that, no, that's where we need to get. It, it does need to uh, be where we're giving a universal vaccine to uh, children, just like we're giving every other uh, vaccine and every other type of viral uh, illness. This one's a little funny because it didn't, uh, you know, hasn't, uh, as we started out, hasn't impacted kids as much. So I have been concerned about the sort of slow study uh, and trials in children. Uh, we just started uh, being able to uh, vaccinate children that we care for with serious and chronic illness down to the age of 16, and nothing's been approved below that. And boy, are the kids and their families uh, so happy about that uh, because they know how critical it is to keep uh, these kids with serious illnesses. I think these studies, uh, as you say, have, have, have begun uh, and getting uh, at least down to age five, and I think there's some that are even going to be started uh, down into the uh, uh, down down to infants, and and we're hoping and we're close to uh, becoming a uh, trial center uh, for some of these studies here at Children's in, in Washington. Uh, but uh, it's going to uh, take some time to see uh, the safety and efficacy of these vaccines. So I'm not sure. We're hoping that uh, we'll be able to be doing this kind of thing before the next school season. But I think it's going to be a, a real uh, a tight race on that. Uh, and I know everyone's, of course, looking forward to getting back to normal. And we saw the president uh, talk about July 4th as a date when things maybe can feel more normal, uh, depending on how many adults get vaccinated. But what about families' summer travel plans, vacation plans? Say all of the adults in a family get vaccinated, but of course the kids haven't been vaccinated. Do you see any reason why they shouldn't be able to sort of be out and about and perhaps do some travel? Uh, no, I don't. I think if, if people are, are careful and uh, maintain the, the regular public health measures of masking and social distancing and just being careful about that, I think there's so much good uh, that can happen uh, by families uh, where, where the adults have been vaccinated to have some time together, to take vacations, to uh, uh, decompress and, and really uh, you know, get back to those uh, happy family uh, at times. There's, there's just so much uh, good that can come out of that as we look to the long term for our, our kids and families. Well, I'm sorry to say we're out of time, but it was a great discussion. And thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Kurt Newman. It was great to have you on. Well, Paige, thank you. And, you know, the, the big uh, thing here is for people to remember is that kids are affected and, you know, we really want to get ready and be prepared for that next pandemic and do all the research and, and, and so that we don't have to live through this again. And, and thank you for your attention to the children. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Please stay with us. I'll be back with science journalist and author Lori Garrett after this short video. Welcome back. I'm Paige Winfield Cunningham, and I'm delighted to welcome as my next guest, uh, author and journalist, Lori Garrett. And you may know Lori as someone who predicted the coronavirus pandemic years ago, and she's here to share with us her insights about what she's observed and learned over the past year. Thanks so much for joining us, Lori. Hi, Paige. Happy to be here. I want to start off by talking about, I think, something a lot of people are paying attention to, which is all of this news about the AstraZeneca vaccine and the fact that a number of countries in Europe have suspended the distribu distribution of that vaccine over concerns over side effects. Um, can you share with us your take on that? Do we see any 
actual evidence that these side effects are in any real way connected to the vaccine itself? Well, first of all, I think we should congratulate our Food and Drug Administration, uh, which looked at the AstraZeneca original phase three trial data back last October and said, boys and girls, you have to go back to the drawing board. This is not good enough study design, good enough execution of phase three trials to warrant an emergency use authorization from the United States government. And so indeed, AstraZeneca has been conducting an all new phase three trial to try to reach certification here in the United States. So the first thing Americans should know is we have this vaccine in freezers, but we're not putting it in people in America, pending a whole new set of basic research trial studies by the company. Now, what's going on in Europe is that this vaccine got an enormous amount of hype going back to early last summer. It was being talked about by Oxford University, which was bragging about its role in the whole effort and AstraZeneca, the company, as if this was going to be the vaccine, the vaccine and affordable to people in developing countries because it will be made using techniques and standards that are well understood and that can be done on a mass production basis. So it was all looking really promising. However, the very same difficulties with their original trial designs, which is to say executed differently in three different country 